Hey, good morning. This is Dr. Rod Story uh, with Mir Medical. Been a little while since I've been on the show, but I'm looking forward to being back in the Cross Politics studio. Here with David Shannon. Glad to see you again. I'm happy to be here too, and I'm happy that you're back. I've been need you out there, man. <laughs> I can have a list of questions uh, myself that I can give to well, you. Well, it's been a busy season, and and part of it has been our clinic has been growing, and we're thankful for. Uh, opportunities to step outside of medicine. And, and so bringing on a couple of extra doctors this last year has been a full-time gig. I saw that. Just I, also, a new one uh, yeah. I lost my brother this last year and that, that needed my attention yeah. uh, as I took care of my mom and others. Uh, but I'm glad to be back. Man, we're happy to have you back. Very much needed voice, Dot. But here we are uh, looking at the news and man, the news gives all sorts of opportunities to address some broken things about medicine and culture. And I want to dive in on something called euthanasia. You know, would you do a favor for me? Would you? <laughs> I'm not the smartest person in the world, but euthanasia, we're not talking about young kids running around here in Asia. We're talking about something else. <laughs> That's great. I saw the uh, uh, Caucasian was kind of like uh, someone who is, a, a, what is that, a white guy who happens to be in Asia? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, euthanasia really is a term that's been used for a long time. It's this idea that, that uh, you can hasten death with the assistance of somebody else. Oh, you know, so we saw something like this with Obamacare kind of coming in. We were concerned about older folks decide that they just wanted to die and go into the hospitals. Absolutely. And, and you yeah. know, the, the conversation is always uh, in our medical world and it's bled into our culture. Oh, things are futile. Maybe people just need to knock off and get right. on and move out of the way. And certainly that's one of the things that, that plays a role is the sense in our, our culture that people are, are uh, lost and and maybe feeling like uh, their time is over and wondering if a doctor should help them on their way. Where are we seeing right now euthanasia make a comeback? I, or has it ever gone away? Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's actually been present now in about eight states in the United States that have uh, active laws saying a physician can hasten, can pre- prescribe a uh, medication to end someone's life with their, with their permission. Uh, it's a pretty scary thing, but it actually is a very much a, a Northwesty thing. So really, um, yeah. So and that's what caught my my attention. Why to bring it? Why I wanted to bring it here today. So, can you, do you know what eight states that it's primarily in? Yes, sir. Well, you know, it's honestly the the same states that are pushing abortion laws right now. Uh, you may have seen that just Colorado pushed one of the more yep. aggressive abortion laws in the United States, saying that it's basically a fundamental right. Uh, Colorado is one of the more recent to also pass laws saying that at the other end of life, uh, that physicians can take uh, the life with apparently the permission of, uh, of, of patients on their own. But Hawaii, Maine, New Jersey, New Mexico, Vermont, uh, locally here, it's Washington, Montana, and Oregon. It's surprising. So, you know, it's funny. It seems like if you don't care about life on one side of this, you're probably not going to care about life on the other end either. Absolutely. Um, you, know. you know, and what we really are seeing, which is what bring this, brings this to my attention this week, is in Oregon, there's the sense that, uh, the law that they've had on the books since 1997, they were the first state to do what they call the the right to die or death with, death with dignity act in 1997. They now have had a physician say, well, why do we restrict that only to people who live in Oregon? Why can't we extend that to anybody who wants to travel here? So if they're passing laws that are saying it's okay for you to choose to ask the doctor to assist you along the way, um, the people are wanting this. What's the moral side of this that says, no, no, that's not the way to do it? Fantastic question. And yeah. that's, that's really where I think it gets at the meat of this. The, uh, the reason that Oregon kind of rolled over and said, well, sure, we can make this a tourist state for people who want to come here and die, is that the medical association and the state board said, well, um, I guess we see your point. What does it matter whether you live here full time or whether you're just visiting and happen to be in our state since our state has already passed a law saying, 
physician can interact in this way with a patient, then I guess uh, no problem. We really are missing uh, strong men who are willing to say, no, this is something that should not be a part of medical care. And that's why I'm here today. So tell me, so, so the moral side of it, how, I guess the question, maybe this is too much of a bleak question. What is the proper way to go about doing this? You know, you know, yeah, absolutely. it seems weird. Well, I mean, to here ask, we are. How do you and, die well? And, and that is a fantastic question. People have been asking that since Plato and Socrates. Mm. Uh, and I would say there's another contemporary of that time, a guy named Hippocrates. Ever heard of that guy? No. Well, you've heard, ever heard of the Hippocratic Oath? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an oath that physicians have been taking for about 2,000 years, basically saying what we should do and what we should not do in the, in the course of medical care. It's an oath. Because medicine is a profession, meaning it's a called out type of activity that says, hey, I aspire to something that is a moral activity. And guess what are the two main things that it says in the Hippocratic Oath? I know one of them is do no harm, right? Yeah, well, do no harm is a concept that comes out of that idea. Okay. But it basically, Hippocrates said there's two things that as a physician in the Greek culture that he knew that he could not do. One was if someone asked for a poison, he could not give it to them. Mm. And second, that he could not give an abortifactant to a woman. Oh, wow. He said that these are the most essential things that you must say no to as a physician, that they are basically destructive to uh, what a physician is. And all physicians take this. Ah, well, that's changed a little bit. The last time that that oath was uh, kind of taken among almost all med schools in the United States was 1960s. Uh, Since that time, most of those oaths have been rewritten to really express that the, the onus is on the patient, basically whatever the patient wants the physician is obligated to give. Uh, so then the morality of the situation, the morality of the doctor is completely dependent on whatever the client is. Absolutely. Right? And that's really turned uh, physicians into really techni- uh, uh, technocrats, uh, technologists who are basically just purveyors of a technology with uh, a sense that they don't have any responsibility or the moral implications of what they choose to do with those technologies. And I would say, man, that's a huge wrong. Well, and, and if you're at home, you're listening to this and you're shaking your head like David Shannon is doing still next right to me. Now. You know, and that's the reality of the medicine that we're starting to face. And as a Christian believer, where I know that I'm responsible at the end of my life for what I've done, I'm responsible to a righteous judge who's going to uh, ask me, why did you do this? Why didn't you do this? And I know, covered by the blood of Christ, but I also know that I'm responsible to give an answer. So tell me more about this law in Oregon. Yeah, the law in Oregon is not all, all that different than the law that was written in Washington in 2008. Uh, the one in Montana that was just written, I think, in 2012. These are laws that are in the books that are, that are meant to basically say, if you are a person who says, man, what I have is a terminal illness. I, I, it's going on. I can't live with this. It's unbearable suffering. Uh, that you can basically then go to a physician and say, hey, I want to end my life. The physician is then obligated in most of these laws to say, well, uh, let's make sure that you don't have depression. Let's make sure that you don't have something that maybe is impacting your ability to see this. And then let me ask you to see another physician just to make sure you, you haven't changed your mind and agree that you really have something that's not going to go away. It's terminal. And then uh, the, the prescription can be written. You can t- basically go home and take it in your home. Uh, in fact, the Washington law is, is designed to, uh, to hasten it at home rather than in a a clinic or a hospital setting, um, and away you go. You know, everything. every time I think about a government deciding to do something like this, I don't think of them as a huge moral bunch of people. I think uh-huh. of them as a money-making 
So how is this? What's the purpose for them even passing laws? Well, that's is a this, fascinating thing. It, it, it is raise a, a question: Is there is there money to be made? Yeah, an incentive. Uh, is there an incentive to broaden this? Is there? Uh, and perhaps you should ask about Oregon when they say, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not going to limit this just to people who live here, but people who might want to travel here. Is this going to create a virtual tourist industry that's a one way ticket? Mm. Um, and I think that that's always important to ask where, where's the money lead and where's the discussion here. But I think, honestly, it's much more about uh, a change in the way medicine behaves, which mm. is the understanding, as we just discussed a few seconds ago, is this a moral activity that each of us has a responsibility for the actions that we take? Or is this just a moralist, uh, whatever anything goes, uh, whatever the patient wants or decides at that time? That's ultimately what makes this a real challenge, though, because and Oregon demonstrates this, and actually some of our societies in the Western world, like Denmark and Holland, that have had laws on the books much longer, will show that that uh, the definition of terminal illness, the definition of unbearable suffering, becomes such a subjective, slippery slope that people can request a uh, medication to end their life if they find looking in the mirror is unbearable. Help help me talk to two people. Talk Well, talk to me <laughs> as you're talking to two people. Um, one person who is dealing with something like this, somebody who's dealing with that they have an illness that is unbearable to them yes. and they want to end this. And then I want you to talk to the other person who is like, who, why do I care if another person Absolutely. ends their life? You know, well, and this is the challenging question. And I think it does require us as men uh, and, and people with a, a responsibility of our own to stand up and say, what is, what does it mean to have a, an end of life circumstance? Because I think in part what we do is we, we let a, a softness develop where we say, well, I could see maybe that person might not really like this and it's so hard and, and I just can't tell them what they should do or not do in this circumstance. But I think that we, what, we, what we first need to recognize is there are some laws that are in place that are much older than Hippocrates, much older than the Oregon mm. law, and that is first do not murder. Mm. God has said that we are not to take an active action in ending a life. He is the only one that can do that, that can bring that a person to the end of their life. So for us to, to take an active role, whether it's with a medicine or whether it's with a, uh, a, a bullet to the head, and, and I'm not being um, glib in my words, uh, to end a life is to take an action and murder. Um, and, that, and that crosses a serious moral boundary that God has said, thou shall not. You've kind of spoken to both those people at the exact same time. Well, yes, but but I also would say uh, we we want to have compassion, and compassion should drive us to actually take some different steps when we see someone who is suffering or in pain. Mm. Uh, we should be like the the good Samaritan that crosses the street and engages people in their suffering and care, rather than say, "Hey, here's a medication. Go off on your own corner and, and end it all." And I think that that's the problem that we're seeing then with euthanasia or, or physician-assisted suicide, as I think it's better called, which mm-hmm. is that this seems to be an easy answer for what is a really hard problem, which is there is suffering in life. Mm. And suffering in life, the question that we're, we're ultimately needing to ask is, is there a purpose and meaning to that suffering, or is it all just meaningless? You know, one of the things that my wife and I see a lot different than when we were kids is that old people and people with suffering have been moved completely out of our community, mm. outside of our view. And so I guess my question is, you have to have something coming from the culture to where once you get to this point of suffering, you haven't seen anybody else do it well. I must not be valuable anymore. So how can we as a culture, because the laws are reflecting 
something that comes from the culture, right? Absolutely. And, and there, and that, um, and I, and I would say that, that I, I've seen that uh, in, in discussions I've had with co- fellow colleagues. I had one colleague who, uh, who said, you know, I, I really think it would be pretty marvelous just to realize I'm at the end of my life and I've done all the things that I wanted to accomplish and I don't want to keep living with this uh, if I see myself aging and losing. I think I'll just go to one of these places and end it all and uh, maybe watching a nice, pleasant TV screen with good images of whatever right. life is going in. And yet uh, we would know that as Christians that even suffering can have purpose and meaning, that there are redemptive qualities that there are remarkable aspects of God's kingdom that are built as we care for each other, as we show compassion and uh, to each other during those remarkable, challenging times. There's no doubt. Death is often a very hard circumstance. Yeah. It's a very uncertain circumstance. It's a circumstance that often uh, leads people to feel very um, uh, much uh, out, of, out of control with their, with their circumstance. Uh, they may ha- uh, have fears, and it's actually... If you look at what drives people to ask for euthanasia, most of of w- which is actually never fulfilled or never uh, prescribed. So people go to the doctor and say, hey, I think I want to end my life. What they've shown actually is that more than 80% of people actually never take that medicine. Really? Yeah, there's still a sense that life, even life as hard as it is, is better than than uh, hasting it. It's a, it's, there's a, I think God has built into us a... a, a an awareness that the eternity is on our hearts, as it says in Ecclesiastes. And that, that's kind of a bittersweet thing. That we yeah. know that our souls are made for eternity. And, and I think that that leads people to have hope. So the, I guess my next question leads to if you're, um, so one of the things that with abortion, we don't know how we're fostering it. One of the ways that we foster mm. abortion is through the lack of fatherhood, mm. bad fatherhood. I mean, that just is prominent, right? Um, the first thing that they came after with abortion to get it legalized wasn't like straight abortion. It was the breakup of, of parental mm. responsibility um, and husband and husbands to their wives and then fathers to their children. Um, how do we reverse? Cause I, I, I want to get involved in the law, but how do we as a yeah. culture re- begin to reverse that? And um, well, how- let me speak to the abortion issue. And I, yeah, I yeah. can say this personally. I think that sometimes abortion is done as the quick answer to uh, a future that you can't see ahead. Uh. And so oftentimes what we have opportunities as believers is to say that God can redeem uh, even the hardest, most difficult Amen. circumstances. Uh, in my own life, uh, we had a baby before my wife and I were married, and it and it blew us apart. And we thought, "Oh man, uh, th- I have to leave college. This, what are people going to think about us?" Abortion uh, came across our minds, and it would have been the easy answer. The hard answer was the one that came as as a huge blessing to us. Mm. Uh, and and, and uh, what I've seen through people dealing with the fears of a hard circumstance of something coming like death is to actually lean into it with uh, awareness that their physician is not going to abandon them and say, Hey, here's something, just take this so you can be gone. But instead I'll be with you. I'll take care of you. We can take care of pain. We'll make sure that we, uh, uh, that you're not left alone. Um, but on top of that, use this for purpose and meaning. Have you, have you taken care of your relationships? Have you brought these full circles to make sure that you're, you're right with God and right with man? Uh, are you saying the words that you need to say at the end of your life, or are you just wanting to run away from that? Are you making things right before you mm, leave this world? That's uh, really good. Because those are, the, those are the most important things that as believers we know that there is meaning and purpose at the end of life and not just uh, suffering without, without purpose. So let's say you're a doctor. <laughs> There yes. in Oregon, right? Um, you have a law now 
that you're kind of forced that's forced on you how, what is what is your how do you maintain your practice how do you maintain your business how do you do this in certain environments and still be a, you know reject it? can you reject it if you're if this is legal and well so far there are conscience clauses built into the those won't so you last don't have long, to though. yeah they won't because we've seen that already falling apart in so many other areas whether abortion or whether transgender. Well, the vaccine, uh, just the yeah. vaccine itself. Yeah, people are being told, that, sorry, this is the expectation. And, and what's interesting is it's being told, you know, there's no there's no purpose, there's no guiding principle, but this is the principle that you should be guided by. Mm, right, <laughs> Which is just, right. you know, to, to create something out of nothing rather than to know that there's, there's something bigger that we're called to. So if you're, so the doctors that are there, they got a, they got a short defense for now, but what do they do? Well, I think they point to something older and bigger, which is to say, first off, these are the these are lines that should not be crossed. These are these are wrongs that are destroying the very fabric of medicine. You cannot um, both use uh, uh, technology and gifts uh, for good and for mm. and that uh, and then to turn around and, and to use them for harm. That's what Hippocrates knew. So, if you look go look at the this Greek guy and you realize he was saying that there was a, there was a culture at that time. One of the problems was. That you could you could pay to the highest bidder uh, whether you would give a good medicine to your right. enemy or a bad enemy uh, medicine to your enemy, and he basically said, under no circumstances ever should I give any poison to anybody, because there were people who might be might pay a little bit more into your pocket to instead of giving uh, lisinopril for a good blood pressure, give a little bit too much digoxin and end their life, uh, and and we're and we really are on that slippery slippery slope where you've connected the business of medicine to a uh, ethical line that should not be crossed, where we have also um, used a technology to, to, to cross a line where we should have always said, no, this is a place where medicine can't go because it's first do no harm. Doc, I think I need a full course on Hippocrates. Did I say that right? Ah, uh, that guy. And, he... and just a biblical understanding of medicine because I'm realizing that the foundations of how we look and think about everything in our culture right now is so broken. I was reading a book called After Virtue, yeah. and it's asked if the society was to collapse right now, do you think that we have the people to rebuild it better? And I, that <laughs> I, I hope so. And I, I've been part of efforts in my 20 years in medicine uh, to network with other physicians. Um, and, and there's been a growing effort mostly on the Canadian side because they are 10 years ahead of where we are right. to create these Hippocratic societies, basically where we go back to the older oaths and we say, no, there are places that we should not go. Um, and there's the hope that we can eventually create separate medical societies that say, no, uh, because I think ultimately people will learn as they've seen in, uh, in places like the Netherlands where there are people, older people who are, whose lives are being ended without their consent, where mm. disabled are being killed. That's uh, where this goes. This though, is right? where it goes yeah. because it, it ultimately becomes how useful are you to the rest of your society? And are you soaking up a lot of public dollars? Uh, I think that's where the finances really, really play out in these questions uh, when the line has already been crossed. Wow. Uh, I'm fortunate in our local, uh, um, a place to have three other physicians that I work with. And we are able to set up a, a clinic where we have very clear understanding of places that we do and do not go. And I'm thankful that we can separate that. Uh, I've seen uh, Christian medical association um, really take a good, strong stance on this. And I'm thankful they're working with uh, the Alliance for defending freedom, the ADF to really um, try and head off some of these laws. I've seen the Catholic medical association. They've always done an excellent job as well. 
Well, Doc, I'm happy you're back. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, more and more from you. Let's have some good conversations. Yeah, we'll try absolutely. and make this a weekly thing. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly if there's things to talk about, the next couple of conversations I'd like to have would be around transgender and then also about birth control. I think there's some really good things to talk about. So, Doc, do you have any notes on any of this that you can put inside of the, the app so that when people go to the app, yeah, they can look at some I'll, stories I'll send or something. you a connection that I, I think the Christian Medical Association has done an excellent job of, of laying out both a biblical and moral defense of why euthanasia should not be part of medicine. Uh, and I think that's worth a, a good read through um, and really an understanding of what um, suffering is about. I'm reading a book on uh, uh, from a guy named Paul Brand. He was a physician uh, that, that uh, talks about the purpose of suffering. C.S. Lewis has a great book on suffering. We need to be well-informed so we can not be pulled so much with our heartstrings, but with our head. Mm. And if people want to ask you questions, they can email you at. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll leave you guys with that. Oh, we, uh, I hook think contact here. at crosspolitic.com. Ask Dr. Story. I think we created an email for you. I'll check and see and find out what yep. it is. Yep. But and we'll, we'll do able... our best to address those as we have an opportunity. That's on the awesome. Show. Well, thank forward. you so much for uh, letting me talk. And, and uh, again, our goal here on Mirror Medicine is really to, to talk about truth in love. <laughs>